Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to our Evolve webinar. So at the beginning of this year, Evolve was convened by Orange Sparkle Ball, an innovation accelerator, and SwitchPitch, a platform for matching corporate business problems with startups. And I will pass this off to Michael for a minute to say a little bit more about SwitchPitch. Thanks, Ashley. So the whole, this is amazing to have John on because he was sort of the, the impetus of this whole idea. So I'm actually really proud to have launched Evolve with Orange Sparkle Ball and then have John come on to see what we have done. So uh, excited for this. A little bit about SwitchPitch. So we have an online platform that connects innovation teams with early stage startup innovation. And the uh, platform is a database and a CRM. And so it's really good at aligning external innovation to internal innovation. And so the topic of this webinar is very relevant to us and uh, excited to hear what John has to say. Awesome, Thank thanks Michael. Um, so as members of the innovation ecosystem, SwitchPitch and Orange Sparkle Ball saw this need for really better communication between innovation teams and um, teams that are in, entrenched in the same organizational problems. And we created Evolve as a, a network to bring people together and provide the opportunity to learn and grow from each other's successes and failures. Um, and with recent events, we have moved our programming online to try and continue to provide value and hopefully to help innovation teams continue to press forward. Um, we've discussed topics such as running remote teams, how to run successful pilots, um, calculating the return on innovation work. Um, and today we are very excited to be here with John Featherston of Chick-fil-A New Ventures and Megan Kennedy from Orange Sparkle Ball discussing how to show the value of innovation teams. Um, anybody who is interested in continuing these discussions, please feel free to drop your LinkedIn in the chat for people to more easily connect with you. Um, and with that, I am very excited to introduce um, our facilitator, Megan Kennedy. Um, Megan founded Orange Sparkle Ball after graduating from the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory and conducting HIV research for the CDC. Um, as I mentioned before, Orange Sparkle Ball is an innovation and impact consultancy that accelerates initiatives in the public and private sector, as well as works with startups. Um, Megan's taught across Georgia Tech as well as the CDC and has been a guest reviewer um, at Georgia Tech uh, judge for the Global Social Venturing Competition and at IDSA, and is a mentor for social entrepreneurs. Um, and we are very excited to have Megan as one of our steering committee members, as well as a co-convener um, of Evolve. And we are also excited to welcome John Featherston, who is a dear friend of both mine and Megan's. Um, John founded the um, Chick-fil-A's corporate venturing arm called New Ventures in 2015. And his role involves identifying startups that develop technologies um, to complement Chick-fil-A's business strategy. Um, in addition, John is responsible for engaging the venture capital ecosystem on behalf of uh, the corporate and foreseeing disruptions and identifying startups for product development and commercialization of those startups. 
Um, and in, in 2017, Chick-fil-A participated as a founding partner um, together with a consortium of nine other US-based uh, corporates to launch Engage Ventures, um, a 15 million early stage venture fund run by TechSquare Ventures. And John sits on the board of directors at Engage. And with that, I will pass it over to John and Megan. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you very much. Um, Ash and Diego, thank you, and, and Michael, thank you for the, the intro. Um, so I just want to take a minute to say this is a, a big moment um, for us because we, at the end of last, so we've gone to monthly Evolve webinars, and at the end of the last one, which was an ROI um, return on innovation webinar with Mark Kaiser, who I, I would recommend you watch it. It's on the Evolve site. Um, we asked people what topics that they were interested in and if there were people that they would recommend as speakers. Um, and so for the first time, we got, we've gotten topics before, but for the first time we've actually gotten somebody name requested and it's John. Um, and so we at first thought it was maybe one of the Orange Sparkle Ball team because we thought, okay, that's kind of cute because he's a friend of Orange Sparkle Ball and it was not. So you were asked by name to be the speaker. And wow. so here you are, and thank you very much. Here yeah. we go. So it, it was a big deal. Um, okay, and with, with that, um, I will kick off. And John and I have kind of prepped a little bit, but uh, he's known for, for freestyling and very good at it. Um, so I'm probably gonna just let him go a little bit. Um, but John, to start with, for those of, of in the audience who don't know you, um, can you talk about, give a little bit of your background and then talk about what you do in your role, your current role? <clears throat> I sure will. So thank you, Megan. Thank you for uh, everybody who's been a part of putting this together. Um, it is such a privilege for me to be part of the community of innovation and innovators um, because I think those of us who actually do that work recognize a pretty fundamental principle that I was, I was thinking about as I looked at the topic of this webinar the value of innovation teams. Um, I, I really want my, before you even hear about my background and, and some of the things I've done, I want to know that my perspective, I think, uh, reflects what I hear in the halls and in meetings and conference rooms around corporate settings. And, and that is that innovation is sort of about soft skills and creativity and white papers. And I'm not buying that. I'm not interested and I'm not signed up for that program. So from my perspective, Innovation's gotta be results driven and time activated. And I think it's a contact sport. It's gotta be clear, delivering clear outcomes and clear results, or you can't expect to be um, welcomed into the world of budgets and headcounts and uh, serious consideration of an organization. So my career preparation for this point, uh, I was a banker in North Carolina for um, what's now B of A and what's now Wells. Uh, and for much of my career at Chick-fil-A over almost 25 years, my primary perspective was about growth strategy and doing real estate deals around the country. So I pioneered a number of prototypes, a number of markets, uh, and loved particularly the experience of taking Chick-fil-A into the urban context of downtown Chicago and doing our first uh, wave of deals in Manhattan. And then around five years ago when we started New Ventures, I did not think, well, I'm I want the same person who said, I'm going to plant the flag in the heart of Manhattan, 
wants to go doodle on whiteboards and, um, uh, you know, just have some creative ideas. I'm in New Ventures to find ways that Chick-fil-A has got to harness the latest and greatest and best and most applicable technology, put it in the hands of our great people on staff and in our restaurants to keep winning, uh, you know, the battles we face in the marketplace. So um, I love taking that perspective and that drive for tangible results to what we're trying to accomplish in New Ventures. I think that's great. Do you want to give just a little bit of a background on um, what New Ventures does, just to kind of give a little foundation for our further conversation? I do. I would say that, you know, um, and I think in our audience today, we have some folks who are in innovation roles, some folks maybe are in startup context, um, some folks in consultancies. Um, my perspective is that when you're creating something new within a corporation, a large corporation that's had, you know, long time success strategies like Chick-fil-A does, um, there's a certain amount of time to do the, um, here's what we're planning, uh, help folks catch the vision and folks continue to contribute. But at some point they, they become a little fatigued and as the person sharing it, I become fatigued. And so I, I recognize we had to start delivering results. And so, our game plan was really to be the external innovation arm of Chick-fil-A. So we've got innovation that happens internally. What we wanted to do is accomplish really through our new ventures work, external innovation and external R&D. So our perspective is that we could take a business challenge and go find a dozen solutions in the startup network that we've been privileged to create in Silicon Valley and other places around the country that have got um, you know, wealth of new technology being created and bring it in ready to pilot, bring it in field ready and prototype for Chick-fil-A. So what we had to do, I think that Megan's gonna to get to and we'll unpack a little bit was, we had to sort of, we didn't, we couldn't just get people to buy into an idea of new ventures because people associate all kinds of things with that. Like, is it VC? What's our return? Are we gonna, you know, we're gonna be like Sequoia in the first year, uh, you know, th those kinds of ideas. We had to craft it. And so I would say we actually discovered early on, we brought in what we thought was some of the most amazing technology we found that was suited to several key business issues. We had pitch days, we brought those folks in internally, and we found that folks, key business leaders within our company said, well, gosh, that's really great stuff. And then they went back to work. And um, what we had to do was create more of a connection. So instead, what we did is we pivoted our model instead of being a sourcing arm that brings it in uh, for you to just glance at and see and like you're browsing the web, we actually moved further upstream to work with key leaders to define their business use case and tell them, okay, we're gonna come back with eight or 10 vetted solutions. We're gonna have a pitch day for you in three or four weeks and you get to pick what we go pilot. And then when we had the pitch day, it's like Christmas morning. They're opening the box. They feel like they have been delivered a curated solution and you're on your way because there's a sense of expectancy. And even before we had our first pilot, our deliverable was a different kind of expectation, a different kind of way they thought about new ventures. Cause we had a couple of key leaders say, this is different. This is very different from a purchasing department where you just go buy a certain size bolt or a certain size cooker or a certain kind of roof shingle. This is about a curated solution to a unique business challenge. And then we were off to the races. And you said, so thank you for kind of 
setting a little bit of the background, you said something in, you said this a while ago and it struck me and every time you, you say it, I want to kind of highlight it, um, that New Ventures is committed to accelerated external R&D. Yes. And can you, there's something really profound about that. Um, can you unpack the idea of external R&D and the value that that could bring to a corporate? Yes, yeah, so I do, you, you know, I, um, uh, one of my lifelong friends is a guy named Tim, whose day job is being the president of Chick-fil-A. And he regularly presses me on why startups, man. I mean, why don't we just call it? not exactly his words, but a little bit the inference of him and a typical executive mindset is, you are kind of a big company, our problems are big, why don't you just call IBM or call Oracle or call whoever, Facebook, I mean, get, get a solution from the, a big company. Not necessarily a bad idea, but we have folks who already have that capability set. I would say what we have found is that where we're trying to have um, really significant breakthroughs. So in the, a recent one for Chick-fil-A, even before the pandemic occurred, was that we felt that we needed to, be, to get into the delivery business ourselves. And so we, we, our, our restaurants were operated by what we call operators. And so the, the project name internally was operator-led delivery. So we knew that to do that, it needed to have a technology engine to be uh, operator-facing and guest-facing not dissimilar from what you see that uh, is driving some of the brands that really thrived during the pandemic, like a Domino's app in particular has been a spectacular performer for them. As you, you order, it tells you the pie is going in the oven. It's being lovingly watched as we wait for it to come out the other end. Uh, you know, Fred is putting it in his car. You see where it's coming. All of that stuff that makes you have a lot more confidence, even pre-pandemic, what was happening. We had to create the same thing. So we sourced dozens of companies that might be able to do that as we found one that we thought might be the answer, what was very interesting is that this same company, happens to be called Bring with two Gs, um, was powering, had a year before powered the catering and delivery rollout for Panera. And Blaine Hurst, who was the CEO at the time, was a friend of mine, and we had a number of conversations talking about how they had worked on things, they broke, they fixed them, they made them better, they worked on things, they broke, they fixed them, as Panera worked on their game plan uh, for delivering catering that really transformed their business model. So Bring had been through that process with Panera and several other candidates, McDonald's in Latin America, and they were in early stage that they've now rolled out with, with Walmart and some other retailers. And so we got the benefit of those guys trying and missing on several other scenarios. We could bring our need to curate it to make it ours, and we benefited from that uh, progress that was external in a way that we wouldn't have if we were trying to start it from scratch. That's the thing that I always think about. So you have the learnings that have already happened somewhere else and they've also been paid for by somebody else. Uh, then... Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so the when, money and the time. Initially... It's, it's both. The money, the time, and the experts, the people. Exactly. Yep. And so that's what, when I think about external innovation, it's hard to beat that. And so really um, in that specific example, it'd be one thing if they were delivering, you know, tools for um, Napa. I mean, that'd be interesting from a logistics standpoint, but not really the same as Panera, who cares a lot about their suit being hot and their sandwich clearly being food safe when it arrives and you know, a lot of TLC. So those kinds of nuances, it isn't like we came to a company that knew how to deliver 
uh, tool parts. And we said, you know, it'd be nice if you guys could discover customer service. Uh, it was already part of their DNA. So then we could add our specific kind of customer service and customer touch and curate it to the outcome we desired. And, and I, we've gone from maybe, I'm not going to get the numbers right, uh, 20 operators delivering to, I don't know what it is now, 700 maybe this week, uh, using this <laughs> yeah. technology. And now as we see that we can do it, we're taking that platform that we created and we're adding four or five new other technologies to it that make the drivers safe. We're in introducing telematics. It's also a basis for what we're looking at on autonomous uh, contact, contactless payment, excuse me, autonomous contactless delivery and contactless payment. So all of that has got an interesting integrated connectivity to that external innovation we did with Bring that helped us pick the right partner there. Well, now we're really going to freestyle, John, so get ready. Um, we're going a little off topic, but because we're talking about showing the value of innovation teams, you bringing that up is something that I have been thinking about a lot. So work that was done with for one specific project two years ago or a year and a half ago, something like that, has now led to several additional problem solves that weren't even related or peripherally related to that first use case. Mm -hmm. So when you think about kind of almost like the cascade of learning and um, adopting one technology that then allows you to kind of fall in line with other technologies, that's a really complex thing to explain to an organization. Yes. Um, how do you think about that? I know that that's something we'll get into more of the communication stuff and, and that's a kind of ongoing conversation. Um, but that sort of cascade of learnings, I think is really important in innovation. And I, I am interested to now that I'm going totally off topic here to know how you think about it. Yeah, you're such a rogue and thus we are uh, brother and sister. Um, <laughs> so, uh, one of the things I thought I was jotting down that I do think that one of the things that's fundamental to innovation, possibly, I, I don't, you know, people say, oh, I'm not creative. I can't innovate. I'm like, well, okay, well, that that's, that's self-selection. I, I, I probably would need more information to know whether or not somebody can innovate. I think everybody can. And so you probably aren't brushing your teeth the same way you were 10 years ago. There's better technology. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be transformational technology. You probably got different safety stuff in your car they innovated and you just learn how to use it type deal. But as I thought about it, from my perspective, one of the things most fundamental about innovation success and innovation results is point of view. And so I'm a data person, but man, I'm not a data analyst. I'm the last person you want to build your spreadsheets and monitor every precise detail of it. But I want the best data. The data has got to be good. It's got to be clear. It's got to be real. It can't be trumped up. But then I like to look at patterns in data, and I think that breakthroughs happen uh, in unconventional intersections of um, the way decisions are being made, something that goes from being a um, very unprofitable way to run a restaurant becomes neutral, and then it becomes really profitable, as a for instance. And so... Um, you, you, you knew I was going to go to the fact about communication. I think first and foremost, for us to tell the story well within Chick-fil-A and to the startup community that 
with whom we keep working and the and the network of VCs and private equity firms. Um, I think it's the exact antithesis of we sit close to the phone and we wait for people to call us with cool stuff. You know, like the latest cool thing that's happened. Here's a gee whiz thing. Because if, if then internally I say, internally I was thinking about this imagery. If my job is, hey, I've got a new way to get us to Mars that I just found this week. And everybody at, in, in our company is busy building, uh, you're digging a ditch in Kansas. They're not really thinking about how do I get to Mars? And I'm the guy who keeps calling about how to get to Mars. I think that what it is, is that it's also point of view. I don't need for key business leaders to all of a sudden say, wow, I'm just going to go crazy and give everything I've got to new ventures. It becomes an earned, just like they've got a particular tax accountant they like to work with, a particular budget analyst. They've got a, um, a specific expert who's helping them on key business aspects of risk management and decision making. Um, we feel very privileged when our colleagues invite us into their work to solve a specific business problem. So, um, so that long around the bend answer to your question about the network is, is that if I just solve a problem for somebody, I actually don't think I'm earning the right to come back next month and knock on the door again. If they're going to tell me, I'm trying to solve this problem. We always listen for in the context of what greater objective are you trying to solve that problem? So, so then when I'm looking and I find, we're gonna find 10 things that will solve that, but we might find three that will also impact the next two or three steps that that business leader's trying to accomplish. And so, um, as you know, so much of our communication has been to be reminding folks that we wanna do one of three things internally, either grow revenue, grow sales, reduce costs and improve margin or mitigate risk. And so we might do each of those three things for a given uh, leader in marketing or in supply chain or in digital technology. Um, but we won't get to unless we understood their whole roadmap of the bigger strategy they have and the bigger challenge. So um, it's where we put startup A, startup C, startup G, with the same stakeholder because we listened for their whole big challenge they're trying to solve and we didn't just come in and deliver one small answer. And the, so even the understanding of the bigger business area and how it might be impacted also then allows you to, maybe it's not the same stakeholder, maybe it's a kind of technology area that then there's an adjacent stakeholder that says, oh wow, that could solve my problem too. That's so right. this idea of kind of um, a broad understanding of the business is really important, I think, in how you talk about your work and how I've seen you be successful. Well, I think, um, Megan, so, I wonder if I give a, a for instance. So, you know, I think the classic, for sure. most, many startups, it seems like to me, they have the founders, they'll have their thing that they think is their big idea. And then they'll hire a really tenacious business development person who just wears you out with emails and calls and wants to have breakfast and, or lunch or you know, I, could you come to a webinar now? And so, um, <laughs> like, and who wants to do that? It might possibly even uh, most of the folks on here. Um, the, the, the rub is, um, I would say that a, a, a relatively high percentage, I'd be interested in Michael Goldstein's uh, 
perspective too, switch pitch. Um, I, I find a high percentage of startups have a great solution, but they're not sure what problem they apply to. So when um, often I, I would say at least half the time when we find a solution, we apply it to a problem that's a little bit different. And we, we also bring to it a very different financial model than what the new technology or startup thought was going to be their way forward. So we try to have our feedback be uh, as quick as possible, as direct as possible. And we think some of the best feedback we can give a startup is you're not for us. And if they say, well, I talked to somebody else at Chick-fil-A, if that person's in operations and what you're trying to do is get into supply chain, you didn't get a good answer. Our job is really to be the concierge, understand what your, your thing is, and tell you it's not gonna be forever, or maybe next year, or right now come and let's meet and see how we apply this. For sure, I love that New Ventures is the concierge for startups into Chick-fil-A. Yeah, that's a really nice way to think thing. about it. Well, nobody needs that thing right now, but call us back next year, we might be right. there. So, um, or if it added these three features, maybe it could be applicable, or if it was half as much cost or more vetted, Right. depends upon the thing. Well, and you've talked about, so you mentioned early on when you were introducing kind of what you did um, and early kind of, I think what you would probably call a mistake, which was come up with really cool technology and present it rather than go to business stakeholders who had business problems and solve their problems. Um, and so the evolution of that idea of kind of cool sourcing people to internal consultants who have a very rigorous process and are interested in solving problems um, has been really interesting to watch. And I think um, as I think about the value of innovation teams, it, it, um, I think about that a lot. How are you solving people's problems and providing value? Um, do you have, like, what was the aha moment when you realized that we actually have to really shift this? We have to move this, this boat this way. Well, there's not just one aha, and I hope I have several aha moments a day, obviously. Um, and I'm a long ways from being where I need to be. I need a bunch more aha moments. But um, uh, listen, it's a business. We're not out here trying to create an art academy or uh, no offense against art academies or whatever. We're in a business. We've got a budget. We've got a P&L. Uh, we're not a nonprofit. And it's got to be replicable and clear and dependable. And um, I would say that it was indirect feedback. It was more around nuance where people say, oh, that's a cool job. You kind of, you go out to Silicon Valley and wander around and yeah, I don't know. You go to, you know, consumer electronics shows, you get to go, do cool stuff. I mean, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff I like to do. Wander around, I like to wander around, but it, I like it to do it with intentionality. It's much more interesting and dynamic, really, to drive results. And what we found was we really had to have a process. So I actually, so there were two things that I think became clear to me. One was we had to have a super rigorous, nuanced communication plan to multiple levels, senior management, mid-level management, as well as the worker bees who are trying to grind this out. 
the, the senior folks said, hey, we got this problem, we got the budget, I've pretty much done my job, now I'm going to give it to the people who are supposed to go figure it out on time and under budget. That's the crowd that we love. That's the crowd that feels the pressure to deliver the outcome. Um, but they've got to explain to their leaders what it is that they're doing. So um, the rub with our work is we're so excited about a number of results we've been able to deliver. You know, over a dozen technologies have been rolled out to the chain. Um, but showing the results is different than inviting people into the active dynamic solving of the problem, testing it in the field, uh, measuring it, refining it, changing the pricing structure, negotiating the multiple layers of legal agreements. And so that, that communication is, is the antithesis of a one time and it fits. It's iterative. It's no less frequently than once a month to multiple levels of folks about what we're doing. And the second one was we knew that we had to really create a center of excellence around what we're doing. And um, that center of excellence has got, gosh, I don't know, you're gonna help me, man. We keep adding to it, 130, 150 steps in 12 <laughs> different <laughs> phases of a typical pilot. Right. You come to us with a problem and we, we'll, we'll assess it, we'll refine it, we'll structure it, we'll understand time frame, we'll, we'll understand the scope, the best way to measure it. We won't pilot anything without uh, KPIs. We might really like a technology, but if it doesn't do what it said it was going to do, if it didn't improve this margin or improve these sales or mitigate this risk, you guys are great folks, but it didn't do what it said it would do. So, you know, we're moving along to the next solution. So I think it was communication plan and a replicable center of excellence process that was is, is, has become fundamental to us being able now to really ramp up our intensity, get involved in more complicated challenges, and be more defendable to our partners in the VC, private equity, accelerator world, because um, we want to be a corporate that startups want to work with. Uh, I, this is actually a different topic now. I, don't, I think very few corporates are um, good to work with for startups. I think most of them squash them like a bug. Uh, I think it's, a, it's sort of a closeted way to look at M&A or business development. And um, you know, it's like an extended, um, get you under NDA and see what's under the hood and try and pay you too little for your technology. It, and that highlights our primary approach now is a commercial relationship with the startup. We hope next year to begin taking stakes in startups that we help grow, but we had to establish our credibility inside Chick-fil-A first as a problem solver, secondarily as um, enhancing the balance sheet from an investment uh, strategy standpoint. I'll come back to the startup thing because I think that's, I agree with you, the approach is really different than I've seen other corporates take. It's much more of a um, kind of partnership approach, but let's go back to the COE before we, we get past that. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the way that your whole team works is everything is in prototype at all times. So, the COE is in constant development, the communication strategy is in constant development, feedback might come in that like throws the team and then we kind of reconfigure things. Um, I have a couple, I'm famous for multi-part questions, I've been trying to tone it down, but I have a couple here. Um, that transparency around the COE process, I think is, is really helpful for internal stakeholders so if you're working with somebody, um, being able to help them understand that this is a very, very 
you know, type methodology that you're also able to adapt as needed. Um, have you gotten feedback on that? How do people react to the COE? Um, how has that been to develop some, I mean, I think you're right, it's about a 120 step process. Um, it's very rigorous, but it also is growing. It's, it's constantly alive. And I think that probably is not how people think about such a rigorous process. I think it's the, the perspective from a distance, probably for many things. I don't want to just say how people think about new ventures. If it, you know, I have a lot of things that I think about. Um, and one of those is things I'm choosing not to think anymore, think or say. And so on my list, growing list of things I don't think or say anymore, um, one of those is I don't think or say about something somebody else is doing anymore. Well, that wasn't that hard. Well, that was easy. Because if I didn't do it, I don't know how hard it was. So we actually, we're not with our center of excellence trying to show how hard it is. At some level, um, it shows first and foremost, a fundamental seriousness about what we're doing. And it shows a professionalism. I, and it's still pretty new uh, what we're doing uh, as we try to benchmark with other companies who are trying to implement similar things or, you know, a version of it that works for them. And we know we've got to document it, we've got to learn from it. So it actually then gives us a beginning point um, when a key business leader's got a time activated business problem they've got to solve, it gives them a confidence level that, um, that New Ventures is a, is a very appealing, dependable, robust, vetted option that's worthy of engaging time and energy with. So in that case, it's not so much money. And then from an external standpoint, we're not going to hear about the best uh, technologies, the best startups if, if when they call our new ventures group, they get their own hold for three months. I mean, we've got to be, have a responsiveness that includes, you're not a fit for us and the people hear that quickly, or you might be a fit, but we won't know for two months until we get the pilot set up uh, or, or, the, or the pitch deck. So um, uh, it, I would say a little bit, I don't know, I don't know the right analogy. I'm, I'm trying to think about a response to your question. Our center of excellence maybe is not our constitution so much as it is our um, you know, our field manual. I mean, it's, it's the how we do it. And um, you know, as a cook, I'm creative. I'm never going to pick the same thing two ways because I don't write it down and I, I love just a little of this and all of that. That's not how you, I want to run our new ventures process. I want, if we need to duplicate it, I want to duplicate it. Well, it definitely does give a, a layer of credibility and methodology um, to the process that seems like for a business stakeholder it would if you're going into this the first time you would feel more confident um, being able to see this is a really really rigorous process um would it, do you think you it also, i don't know if we have a slide that just even shows that snapshot of the coe that, that uh, somebody could find just to pop it up there it, the, the point isn't to you know beat her chest is to say man to, to deliver to deliver real outcomes it is definitively not well, i hope we find something today that ain't it. It didn't, we'll, you know, roll up the shade and see what's out in the yard. It's got to be, we got to know where to look and how to define when we, how to know when we found it. And 
if I try to find it, I won't be able to be a good facilitator or even a little bit of a good facilitator, but we might find it. Um, no, one of your colleagues will find it. Yes, piggybacking on, on that. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Um, piggybacked on that, you talked about metrics. So in the rigor of pilots that you're running, um, we talk a little bit about, you know, no pilots without KPIs, that kind of thing, because I think that's also different than I hear from other organizations often. And I think this is important. Listen, I get it. I love, I mean, I, I, I feel so honored that so many folks share their dreams with me who have started new companies and have got new technologies. And they say, it's always been our dream for, for our, our new X um, thing to be in Chick-fil-A. They either like the brand or they know how big we are, or they know um, somebody who works there. And so, um, I, I think um, to, to give a good answer to that, I think that I we have to not just our, be really familiar with how we accomplish things within our new ventures because we spend two thirds of our time outside of Chick-fil-A. I mean, we're out in those networks. We're, I mean, it's, it's a little bit like, I think maybe we talked about this. Help me remember the analogy I had about passports, but, um, I, I yeah, mean, you had a great analogy. Uh, we we really basically had to, so here, there we go. Gosh, so listen, and, and I um, so like every one of those steps has got like deep um, deep dive under it, and this is just the first six stages. And I think Ashley, there's a next slide that's got the next six stages. Um, so you see, what we're talking about you. You find a new stakeholder, you establish a use case. Where you're going to source it, you get an NDA, you set up pitch sessions, you vet the um, um, stakeholders, uh, and then, and then there's the next next six steps too of, of getting it into the field, uh, piloting it, measuring it, uh, seeing how it works. Did that work? Uh, um, we, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's totally fine. Okay, so then we get to the point of you're, you're doing great. Then we create a case yeah. study. And then this is actually, this is only if we just do a pilot, let alone if we uh, we'll do a second pilot, third pilot that leads to a launch across the corporation. So uh, either across all the restaurants or across all suppliers. So um, we're just learning best practices and we recognize that had to be uh, brought together in one place. So thank you for finding that, Ashley. Um, no problem. Thank you very much. Megan, help me um, remember what, Oh yeah. So the passport idea. So here's the thing is that yeah. I would say in new ventures, we really, we have our passport, which is our Chick-fil-A passport. That's where we work. That's our primary identity is to make Chick-fil-A better, stronger, faster, but we care. We sort of got dual citizenship. Our other citizenship is in the venture world. And so we've got to be credible. We've got to speak the language. We've got to understand what's trending uh, in robotics and, um, uh, yeah, what, whatever it might be, uh, pathogen killing, uh, you know, new cup technologies. Um, and so we've got to be credible in both places. There's a great uh, question here that kind of goes with that. So it is um, from Arjun. And how do you factor in technology and consumer trends into innovation? Does it curtail the spirit of innovation if innovation is driven by trends? On the flip side, you cannot ignore trends. Um, and I've heard you talk a lot about 
um, and this is probably different than most people think of trend spotting, but by, by sourcing the way that you do, so you're constantly um, at demo days, pitch events, you're basically trend spotting in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so that sort of rolled into your innovation process. That I thought was a really interesting point that probably would be important for Arjun. Well, Arjun, I think it's a great question. I think you, at some level, it probably maybe with, with um, my apologies to Malcolm Gladwell, you got to watch when things are in the range of a tipping point. So there's early stage cool stuff. Um, as a, for instance, for me, uh, I'm not an electrical vehicle, vehicle person yet, not because I'm not pro uh, small carbon footprint for my life, but because, uh, because of the way I travel, uh, and where I travel, there's less availability for charging stations and, and the battery life. So, uh, and I think that's true for some number of people. You're going to see electric vehicles are going to really take off, uh, but that's going to be as battery technology takes off and as there's a whole new production system for uh, electricity being delivered by the power companies, by the car companies, for supercharging stations to be as, as frequently available as, um, as gas stations. So, like I'm a really big fan of liquid hydrogen engines, engines, but I don't think that the delivery system is going to catch up to refined petroleum gas um, nearly as fast as it will catch up to the electrical grid opportunity. So while I think liquid hydrogen would be spectacular to power vehicles, I'm not, a, I, I would say the secondary, which is the supply system of liquid hydrogen is what's going to keep it from happening. So, that would be, I didn't mean to jump to a big crazy particular aspect of how uh, I, I think the most environmentally friendly engine, if everybody had a hydrogen, in, a liquid hydrogen engine, it'd be amazing because I love that the byproduct is water. But getting liquid hydrogen safely to everybody to put in their vehicle uh, might take a long time. So. I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't put a bunch of chips on liquid hydrogen engines because I see the secondary relationship. So new types of payment, new types of purchasing, new types of patterns. Uh, it needs to be adopted by some key folks. Um, I think it's interesting to watch. I, 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 my mind's going to some big trends. You know, everybody thinks Amazon's going to kill them. A lot of people got storefronts on, on Amazon or on Shopify or eBay or whatever they chose. Um, guess who's not rolling over is Walmart. You know, they're, they just, they're rolling out their version of Prime. Turns out they've got thousands of distribution centers that they call Walmart super centers uh, across the country. And so they're now choosing to change their mindset from these are stores to these are fulfillment centers. They can deliver from them. They can create clubs there, create different kind of community than they've had. So, um, I don't, that, those are broad brush. Like if I was giving you an idea of what I thought were big key trends, I could probably go in that direction. Um, I don't mean to not answer the question by being too broad, but those would be two examples that I think of. Well, and John, I think in your answering the question that way, you are getting back to something that I think I, I don't want to miss this um, as one of your most important learnings. When we were prepping for this, um, you talked about the kind of small solutions in where solving a small problem has led new ventures. Um, and to the 
you know, not looking at the sort of big shiny trends, but really looking at what is going to solve a problem that we're having right now and what, how does that open the door for innovation and valuing innovation, I think is a really kind of a adjacent conversation to the trend conversation. Yeah, it's a great point, I, you know, like to, to get super philosophical for, for 10 seconds. Um, if, if I get mopey and whiny at, and in a funk, it might be because I wish there was peace on earth. Uh, and I think I'm accountable for it. And when I get hopeful and energized is when I like work on peace in my kitchen and peace in my circle of friends and, you know, my part of the world. And so it's a version of, I do see some of those really big trends happening. I think, wow, that's going to, one of these two is going to win and this is happening in a general direction. Um, but it is in our work at Chick-fil-A, and I think in any new ventures arm or corporate venturing arm, um, you, we've got to be doing blocking and tackling. We've got to solve a few small things, and it really often, <laughs> you, a small thing scaled becomes a medium to big thing. So uh, in that case, I tell you, we've had a couple of things we've solved in one, two, three, five, ten restaurants. It went so great that we quickly piled it and it's in thousands of restaurants. So, um, so it, it, it speaks to excellence and thoroughness and not being so worried. Well, I, I wish um, my, my work would have value if it was big. I think my work has value if it's excellent. And then it'll get big. But yeah, the definition of big, I think, is the thing that um, people might get hung up on, kind of the right. jump to big quickly. But when you think about scaling a lot of small things, um, they become very big quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I would give you an example. We, we've spent a, three plus years working with a compostable packaging firm and their technology has just been way slower than they might have liked to come together. And, you know, the world's looking for compostable cups. And um, um, some of the internal debate that uh, folks <laughs> would have with me or questions would be like, wow, if we're a part owner in that, would we sell it to XYZ other restaurant company? Like that would be a, a conflict, a moral conflict for them or a business company. And my mindset then and now was, well, my, my objective is to discover a way to make a cup and be a part of owning it that's so fantastic that everybody wants it. And then we'll figure out uh, what the business model is. But the, that's another way, it's okay to say, well, let's be excellent. What I mean in that specific instance, we've been working and working and we'll refine it. And we hope to have an amazing cup that's compostable and makes the world a better place. We'll get the brand credit for that. And then it probably will become a really good business also that a lot of other folks would want to um, be a part of. For sure. Um, that makes me jump a little bit. I'm, I'm being conscious of time. And if there are other questions, please drop them in the chat. Um, John, we talked a little bit about what are you thinking about now and where, do you, where does the work go? Do you want to just touch on some of the things that you're kind of thinking about for say 2021, yeah. Um, yeah, and and then we'll see what questions we get. 
you know, I would say um, uh, a high percentage of my fellow leadership colleagues in my company feel that they have a very complete grasp of their work and deep understanding and we know what we're doing. Uh, we know we know what temperature is going to be on April 15th. We know what coat to wear. We're, we're ready. For us in New Ventures, our perspective is, is if we ever reach the point that we completely understand what we're working on, we're not trying hard enough. So I, I plan for there always to be things that exceed my grasp. It's like, I don't know if this is something or not yet, um, but I'm going to watch it. I'm going to see who else is using it. Uh, I'm going to. I can't study everything, but I'm going to scan things and keep uh, a group of technologies a little bit circling back. Like all big trends don't matter. Like someday if there's all autonomous vehicles. It doesn't mean there won't be drive-throughs. It just might mean that there'll be different kinds of drive-throughs and you know, people will still want to eat in their cars and there still would be a way for Chick-fil-A to be in business. So we wouldn't need to say, oh no, if there's all autonomous vehicles, what will we do? Well, what we'll do is hopefully adapt and be ready for there to be all autonomous vehicles. Um, so I want to keep, I, I like, and admittedly it's not come for everybody, I like being unsettled. Uh, I like being unclear. And I like, if I'm ever completely clear, I think I'm getting lazy. I've got to push harder to understand that there's some things coming that I'm not exactly sure how you make money from that. I'm not exactly sure all the things is going to change, but I'm going to keep paying attention. Um, I think that we're working on some ways. So that, that, that would be a mindset and approach that, that specifically is about active, dynamic, field-based research about um, technology trends. You know, what technology, of course, can mean engineered proteins. It can mean engineered vehicles. I mean, it, don't let your head get in too small on any of that. Uh, I do think that we're looking to figure out ways. It's been important for us to be a part of this organization called Global Corporate Venturing. And um, I'm super impressed uh, with what Jim Mawson has done. He has taken that from, in five years, maybe from 100 members to four or 5,000. Some corporations are looking at really for it to be acquisitions. Um, some are uh, uh, like us trying to solve problems, but we think there's the opportunity for some more um, uh, intentional partnerships and alliances with other corporates. We're not revealing corporate secrets, but we're maybe helping each other have a stronger, more dynamic business, make the world a better place, some other corporate objectives. And then I think too, we think there's gonna be some upstream alliances with uh, the private equity and capital markets where uh, the traditional approach to, to VC, we can help improve some hit rates uh, for investors uh, because they, uh, their investing ends up being parallel with our piloting and solution finding. So that's some of the themes I'm exploring. For sure. Isn't that too exciting? Um, one of the things that we've talked about, and you kind of mentioned it, is how do you, so you're kind of processing lots of information um, and so synthesizing it into something, whether it's um, synthesizing 
synthesizing it into a strategy around a certain technology, um, something like that. How do you bring that kind of intellectual capital to the organization? And is that, and that's something you and I have talked about a lot. I don't know there's a real answer to it, but that's something that's been on my mind um, a lot. I, don't, I would say I don't know yet. Um, but I do, what I wanna have is the right sense of urgency but I think it's specifically not that we come in once a year uh, in the planning cycle. And uh, I do not, I, I'm not remotely interested in coming in when the trend uh, presenters come in and talk about what's gonna happen in the next 20 years. And I don't know, we're gonna live in thatched huts or I, I, whatever they wanna talk about. I'm not, I, I like that's interesting, but it's also interesting for me to just flip through a magazine back when I would go to an airport. I mean, I, that's how I think about that. It's like. You know, while the trend people are talking, I'm going to do some real work and I'm going to return emails and, and that kind of thing. I want to convey what we're seeing with a, with, it's got to have a robustness. I, I actually don't ever talk about trends in our company that I see in technology without the specific, what I consider to be implications for our business, our business model and our customers. And so because otherwise, it's like, you know what, dude, I'm thinking about football today, or my mom's sick, or whatever it is. I'm just sort of blah, blah, blah. I've got to give people a hook to grab. And so if I'm just the guy who talks about stuff that people haven't seen or understand, that, that doesn't move the work forward, and it doesn't gain me credibility. So um, and people aren't necessarily always ready for that. So we're, we're just learning new ways to knock on the door. And um, that's one of those things around alliances that we want to keep learning. How do you share? Because breakthroughs almost never are overnight. It's because uh, a, a small group of folks worked hard on something, a few more joined, and then over time, you know, a wave was created. But it, um, that, that is usually led first by understanding. And that's what I want to do is help people understand. Um, John, I have a thousand more questions for you, and I suspect other people do too, but I think Diego is going to cut me off here in a second because we're supposed to be going to breakouts. Diego, can we do one question? Yeah, uh, I don't know if you have one more of yours or you want to address Arjun's in the chat. I was, yeah, I was going to tackle this and then we'll, we'll go to breakouts. Yeah. Um, okay, so with the current situation in mind, looking into 2021 and beyond, how do you think restaurants will regain customer confidence with cleanliness and sanitation? Um, what innovations do you expect to see? That's one that I know has, has been, is timely, clearly. Listen, we're Chick-fil-A is insanely fortunate that almost all of our restaurants have drafters and they're accessible to people who can stay in their own contained environment. It's not just about being in your car. I, I don't know about y'all, but um, I've got friends who like, um, uh, like they're okay to go camping in their own dirty sleeping bag, but they don't want to sleep in your dirty sleeping bag. It's like, I know my dirt or I know how, you know, I know it's just like my thing. So you're in your car, you're in your environment, you know, you control who's been in and out. So the drive-through as a safe pod type deal uh, because, or safe experience, because you're in your safe space 
is uh, super interesting. So, um, I don't, there, there will never be a, a, a one authoritative source on the science of the pandemic. Um, but, but let's hope that in, you know, 12 months, uh, a widely available vaccine has, and great social gathering practices have significantly diminished the vaccine. Uh, the turn back to normal, I don't think will be applicable. Uh, and so you don't have to be smart to say that. Um, I think it'll be, it's going to be a new way forward. And um, uh, even when washing your hands and food safety sort of became a clear aspect of things, you know, 15 years ago, I don't think everybody really cared, but then it became pretty clear. If folks sort of care about your sanitation grade and cleanliness and that, you know, it got not just from fine dining, you'd see it in, you know, sea store type food environments all the way up to the most premium. So what's gonna continue is people are gonna watch. They're gonna think about their environment and what restaurants have to do is think about what is their core capability. And, um, Fundamentally, it's about feeding you so you don't have to do it yourself. And then if you add other values, um, maybe it's because it tastes good and you can't do it at home, or you also got some extra service or you felt good, or it was a place. Um, the, the business model is gonna be really different. I, I think that for, for restaurants without the um, flexibility, to really adapt to carry out or drive through. Um, there's gotta be some way to partner with other spaces or experiences to stay alive. Uh, otherwise, I, it, it's gonna be, I don't think people are gonna be packing back in shoulder to shoulder for a while. So I, 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 I mean, I'm a zealous optimist folks who know how to do this. Of course, there's a lot of folks talking about ghost kitchens and how they're gonna work. And uh, I think versions of ghost kitchens will be here to stay for a while, they already are. Um, and some of those are gonna go away because they were good at delivery, but their food stunk. So I do think food, you know, the quality of food, quality of packaging are, are a couple of things are gonna really rise to the top for the winners. Fair enough, and also the sort of increased uh, thought about your environment is a really interesting one, whatever that, whatever that evolves to. 